God's got a word for you today. The message is entitled Following the Holy Spirit. You can your you version is working this week. Sometimes it doesn't work, but we got it working this week. But um, I just have one scripture, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. And it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. I want to read that one more time. Since we live by the Spirit, the question is this morning is, do we live by the Spirit? Let us keep step with the Spirit. That means walk on the same path. Walk where He's walking. Follow where He's leading. We don't have to make decisions. All we got to do is follow the Holy Spirit. Amen? So I want us to hold your Bibles in the, in the air or hold it to your heart, however you want to do it. And I want to pray, and I'm going to get right into this, because I, I, I just feel the stir, Spirit stirring, and I've got a word for you today. God's got a word for you today. Poke your neighbor and say, God's going to speak to you today. <sighs> Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, Father God, you anoint me to deliver it the way you see fit, not in my own words, but in your words. I pray straight from the throne of God, Father. I thank you. I am thankful, Father. I've been praying for weeks. In months, God, that the gifts of the Spirit would operate every single time we meet in this church. And I thank you that you chose to speak to us through tongues and interpretation. We welcome your gifts. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. And we pray every single time we meet, even in small groups, the gifts of the Spirit be evident. Not just gifts of tongues and interpretation, but also the gift of prophecy, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, discerning of spirit, the gift of miracles, the gifts of healing, and the gift of faith. We welcome you, Father God. We are a spirit-filled church, and we are a full gospel, and we believe your word. God, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would speak to us now. Speak through me, not one word of my own, but every word from you. Let this seed fall in the good soil of our hearts and grow and bear forth fruit in our lives. Let the seed explode in us and change us. Revive us again, O oh God, and may the river of the Holy Ghost flow, not just today, but every day in our hearts and our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up in the air and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. High five two or three people as you're being seated. I want you to listen very closely to this story. In 1763 on the Mississippi River, there was a town founded by French settlers. They called it the Little Gulf, and the reason they did was because it was the little sister of the big Gulf city known as New Orleans. It was a very prosperous and prominent city. It was located 32 miles northwest, northeast, excuse me, of Natchez, Mississippi, on the Mississippi River. It was a very prominent and very bustling at the same city. And a few years later after this, the man named Thomas Calvin bought the city and had a dear friend and mentor in his life. That had touched him so dearly that he decided to rename the city after his friend, Rodney. So Little Gulf was renamed Rodney, Mississippi in honor of his friend and mentor that had done so many things in his life. Again, it became very prosperous 
one of the most prosperous cities in America. By the mid-1800s, it had discovered the industry of cotton and had literally what became responsible for bringing much of the agricultural success in the South. It started in Rodney, Mississippi. It also became one of the busiest ports in America. By the late 1700s, Rodney, Mississippi had factories, schools, hotels, restaurants, beautiful homes, and a little town that became a big bustling town. As a matter of fact, it was so prominent and so prosperous and so vital to Mississippi, it missed becoming the capital of Mississippi by three votes. It was astounding. But something happened, and I need you to sit up straight and listen very closely to me. Something happened that nobody could foresee. The Mississippi River, over a course of many years, slowly but surely, not quickly, but slowly but surely began to change its course and direction away from Rodney, Mississippi. By the early 1900s, that current and river began to go in such a different direction that it, Rodney, Mississippi was now over three miles from the Mississippi River. Its whole commerce and prosperity was built from the boats coming off the activity of the river. It was one of the busiest ports in America. But now that it was three miles from the river, there was no longer access to the river. The commerce and all the wealth that it provided dried up. The town slowly began to wither and die. And if you Google it to this day, which you see some of the images, there's one old Presbyterian church that is crumbling on itself. It is a town that has, was once one of the early America's greatest towns, which is unbelievably now a complete ghost town. It has silent structures and it echoes of what once used to be. It's a hollow shell of the town that's left. There are no inhabitants in Rodney, Mississippi. There are no families. There are no people. There's no prospering business. There's nothing flourishing. There's one road in and one road out. You can visit it to this day. It is dead. Rodney, Mississippi, probably you have never heard of in your life. Can I see a showing of hands of those of you who have heard of Rodney, Mississippi? Isn't it astounding that in this congregation, not one person has heard of Rodney, Mississippi, yet it missed being the capital by three votes. The question is, what happened? And I want you to listen very closely to what I'm going to tell you for the next few moments. It is a silent testimony that screams a powerful message to you and I today. If the river ever leaves, you die. The river left that city and it is a ghost town to this day. And if the river of the Holy Spirit ever leaves our lives, we wither and we die just like that town. Jesus was the one who said in John 7, 37 through 39, and you heard through the interpretation of the Holy Spirit, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. I want to tell you something. If we ever let the Holy Spirit change course in our life and we don't follow, if we ever lose staying in step with the Holy Spirit, we are all capable of very heinous things. We are all very capable of withering and dying just like Rodney, Mississippi. And what I fear is, is there is good God-fearing people in the church that at one time loved Jesus. We're passionate for Jesus. We're on fire for Jesus. Churches that were bustling at the seams, winning people to Christ. People that were doing great and mighty things that have withered and died. 
I wrote this sermon over two months, three months ago. And how would I know that I would receive a devastating phone call of somebody who did great things from Christ that has slipped into such heinous sin and such awful sin that they, it's unbelievable how far they have fallen down. Do I judge them? No. It is a telltale what happens when we don't stay in step with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you, church, we desperately need to stay in the river of the Holy Spirit. If we ever lose step, you might as well ride Rodney on our forehead or Ichabod because the glory has departed. Pastor, what in the world has gotten into you? I am stirred so deeply in my spirit today. I want to tell you, where, where are you at individually? Where is your heart? Can you remember a time you were more on fire for God than you are right now? Can you remember a time that you were more in step with the Holy Spirit than you are now? My thing to you is get back in step with Him. Somebody shout amen. Man, without the river, we will wither up. We will lose our life. There is no difference between us and that city. If we don't have the river that gives life, the Holy Spirit is not directing and leading us. If we're not following, we won't have the blessings, the success, and all the victories. We will wither and die. If the river ever shifts and leaves our lives and everything we have, everything about our life will become joyless and lifeless. We will slip from abundant life into just existing. God has has sent me today to shake us and say, Hey, where are you at? We have to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. We must follow the river of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to learn to stay in step with Him, to walk with Him. Man, if if we find ourselves forcing ourselves to have to pray, forcing ourselves to have to worship, forcing ourselves to say, well, get up, old boy. It's time to go to church today. I want to tell you something. That's a sign that the river's moving a different way. We're not in step. We've got to get in the river again. And I don't mean where you stand on the edge and you splash around in ankle deep. There's some under the sound of my voice. You'll say, I'm in the river, but you're in ankle deep. That means, that means you're just getting just part of your body. A very small portion. Yes, I'm in, but I'm maintaining full control. And God is saying, well, I want you to go deeper. And there are some that you're at knee-deep levels. And, and it's a little bit harder to move on your own. But you still, more of you is out of the water than in the water. And there's others that you're waist deep. And you say, man, this is pretty good. I'm half in and I'm half out. But you like to run back to the shore and play around and do your thing and then come back. And what the Holy Spirit is saying here, according to Ezekiel chapter 47, is, hey, why don't you get in the river over your head and just let it go? The Holy Spirit is, he is, he is grabbing our attention today saying, when will you allow me to have full control? He is a person. He's not an impersonal force like gravity. He can be grieved. He can be hindered. He can be insulted. He was sent by Jesus to the earth to guide us, lead us, direct us, speak to us. So how do we follow the Holy Spirit? How do we follow the river? I got three simple points today. Number one is follow His voice. Everybody shout, follow His voice. 
We have to have dialogue with the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us very clearly. Pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. But I'm telling you, you're missing it if you don't ask the Holy Spirit for His guidance and direction. Somebody say amen. amen. Do we have anybody who knows what it's like to, to pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance and direction and God give it to you? Amen. Every time you have a decision, every time you have a problem, every time you have a crisis, every time you have a need and you need direction, you should consult with the Holy Spirit. If you verbally address Him, He will lead you in the direction you should go. We must listen to His voice. He speaks directly to us, through us, through several manners. One way He speaks directly through us, obviously, would be the Word of God. He is the author of the Bible, folks, and He knows it pretty well. Listen, this wasn't my Bible challenge. The Bible challenge came from the Holy Spirit to me, through me, to you. It was the Holy Spirit pleading with you to participate in the Bible challenge, not me. There's some under the sound of my voice, many that just, well, that's just pastor. No, that was the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how he's spoken to me. And I'm not here to beat up or make you feel guilty. But hey, this week's the book of Galatians. It's only six chapters. If you tell me I don't have time to sit and read six chapters at once, I'll tell you the river's far gone from your life. I'll tell you the fire is just flickering. My Lord, we can't get in the Bible anymore. When we're so full that we're no longer hungry for the Word of God. Pastor, what's wrong with you? I'm moved by the Holy Spirit. I don't know God's shaking me this week, messing me all up. As we face crisis and problems, we need to make decisions. God will give us scripture verses. I'm so moved by a story one of my mentors, Mark Rutland, told me one time. When the Berlin Wall came down in 1989, it was the collapse and the end of the USSR. Mark Rutland, one of my mentors, was one of the first missionaries in Russia, handing out hundreds of Bibles. That's all they did, hand out Bibles. People in Russia were standing in line with such excitement, he described it to me, like a kid standing in line at Disney World at a new ride. Couldn't wait to get their Bible. One little old lady grabbed it, clutched it, and began to cry forcefully and saying something. And he said, through the interpreter, ask her what she, I want to know what she's saying. Here's what's her words, through tears. Seventy years I have waited. How many Bibles in America remain unopened? And I ran families take turns over whose night it is to read the Bible. They cry and they weep for one more Bible. They cry and they weep. Fathers don't get a chance to read the Bibles because they have one and families of seven. And the little kids say, Dad, can I have another night with the Bible? And the dads feel so guilty, they give it to their kids and they go without reading the Bible. Man, if we don't if, if we need to get back to the Word of God again, we need to quit arguing over translations and myths and nomenclatures and all that garbage. Man, we need to, don't reject good doctrine. The opposite's bad doctrine. Amen? We need to receive good doctrine. Look, if you don't know what you believe, you can get to the point where you'll believe anything and let me tell you, you'll do anything. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture, everybody say all. All Scripture is what? God breathed. 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. How many of you know that our minds can get depraved? Our, our, our own flesh can want to go a different way. And we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the Word to get us back on track. Anybody ever been there? It's powerful to do that. Get back into the Word in depth. Just read it. Just sit and just read it. Get it in your spirit. Somebody shout amen. Man, the Bible's unlike any other book in the entire world. The Holy Spirit also speaks to us through impressions. Look, when you're asking Him and you're, and you're praying and you're seeking and fasting and you're praying and suddenly a thought comes into your mind that, 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 that answers it, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Ask yourself, does this thought line up with the Bible? Will it produce good? Do I have peace about it? Does it feel right deep down inside my spirit? Don't dismiss it. That's not your thought. That's the Holy Spirit. Look, if you're in the presence of God and you're praying and you're asking God to speak to you and a thought comes in your mind and it lines up with the Bible, it'll produce good, it'll bring you peace and you feel it's right deep down in your spirit. Don't have all those measuring of a test and say, well, that was just my thought or the devil's. That's God. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Someone shout amen. Man, 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to who? Somehow the Pentecostal church has gotten confused. We somehow sometimes think, well, when you speak in tongues, it's for other people. The book says it's to God. For no one understands him, however, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. If you are ever praying in the Spirit and you're in your prayer closet, and you're praying in tongues, and all of a sudden, the answer to your problem comes up in your conscious mind, that's the Holy Spirit speaking mysteries to you. Don't dismiss it and blow it off. That's God talking. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. There is power in praying in tongues. And I know we live in a day and age where people get a little taboo about it. I want to tell you, I'm not one iota embarrassed to tell you I pray in the Spirit every single day. It is a gift from Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful prayer language between me and God. Someone say amen. Raymond Culpepper tells this story of his daughter, whom I know. Back years ago when she was 14 years old, her and her friend got in the car. They were friend was 16, she was 14. They were going to go down the road and just get something to eat. It had already gotten dark. On their way, the car stalled out in the middle of the night. This is before cell phones and all that. They didn't know what to do. They stepped outside the car. A stranger pulled up, forced them into the car, and began to say all kinds of hateful, nasty things to them, cursing them. He threw Raymond Culpepper's daughter in the back seat and the other little girl in the front seat. Raymond Culpepper's a great pastor in Alabama, a former general overseer of our denomination. She said she looked in a box on the floor and he had a knife and tape and rope. And she said, Daddy, I began to tremble and fear. And she said this. It's unbelievable. She said, Daddy... Later on, when she was recounting the story, she said, The Holy Spirit came upon me and I began to pray on the Holy Spirit in tongues. 
She said, Daddy, the anointing of the Holy Spirit came on me. And I just began to pray fervently in the Holy Spirit. And she said, that man driving that car to take us to do God knows what to us. Began to scream and say, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with her? And her friend in the front seat said, that's the anointing of the Holy Ghost on her life. And that's God talking. And he said, she needs to stop that. She needs to stop that. And all at once, the Holy Spirit got on the girl in the front seat. And she started praying in tongues and praying in the Holy Spirit. And the man driving the car said, y'all stop. I can't take it anymore. Slammed on brakes and forced them out of the car and sped off. I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit saved their lives. Pastor, I don't know about this speaking in tongues. Hey, it's talking to God. How many of you think it's a bad thing to talk to God? Man, I, w- I want to tell you there is power in praying in the Spirit. It could be one of the gifts of the Spirit in operation as well. 1 Corinthians 12, 8. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. And it goes on. You heard tongues and interpretation. That is to be celebrated. What you heard is not weird. It's biblical and it's God. And I'm not only praying for more of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm fasting. I'm begging God. Lord, let us be a Spirit-filled, full gospel, gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, church. Look, I can go across the Atlantic on a John boat or a cruise ship. The choice is mine. But I'd a whole lot rather go on a cruise ship. And Jesus said, you can make it in this life with just being saved. And I'm not discounting being saved. It's the greatest thing that will ever happen. Or you can make the ride a little bit easier if you just get filled with the Holy Spirit. We treat the Holy Spirit like He's some luxury item. Well, I'll take the fur coat. No, I want. I'm telling you, we need desperately the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will also speak through other people. Maybe through a pastor or family or friends. Listen, if, if, if your parents and your pastors and your leaders are all giving you the same advice, that's God talking. It's not hard. We make it so hard. It's not hard to figure out. When you ask five spirit-filled people to pray about something, they all give you the same answer. That's probably God saying, this is what you're supposed to do. Don't keep asking to get the answer you want. I know I'm off the chain today. I'm going to keep going though. Amen. Look, the Holy Spirit will also speak through fasting. And I know that's another Christian cuss word. Look, I believe in the lost art of praying and fasting. Somebody say amen. When you're making a decision, fast and pray and the Holy Spirit will speak and He'll lead you. Acts chapter 13, 1 through 4 says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how fasting works. You fast and worship and pray and the Holy Spirit will say. Are you hungry to hear what he has to say? He'll speak, I promise you. He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Wow, and that's, that's huge. 
So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Another biblical doctrine. We're going to lay hands on those of you who want prayer here in a minute. It's New Testament biblical doctrine. It's good doctrine. Again, don't reject good doctrine because the opposite's bad doctrine. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sent them to do a work. Went down to Seleucia, sailed from there to Cyprus, and they did a mighty work. Look, they, when they needed to hear from God, they fasted and prayed. Never make a major decision without at least a brief time of prayer and fasting. It opens your heart to hear the Spirit of God's voice. It crucifies the flesh, and what was very confusing once will now become crystal clear. Anybody ever experienced that before? Fast until supper and a crisis. You won't die, I promise. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. I want to show you how important it is. He spent the night praying to God. This is the Son of God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. He spent all night God to God praying and seeking God before he chose who his 12 was going to be. He sets the pattern for us. The second thing in following the Holy Spirit is not just follow His voice, but follow His peace. Everybody say, follow His peace. Israel followed a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And, they, and, and that cloud by day and that fire by night, pillar of fire by night, led them and directed them. Right? The cloud and the fire were physical representations of the Holy Spirit giving them guidance. Israel never had to be a decision maker. All they had to do was be a follower. You and I don't have to be decision makers, brothers and sisters. All we have to do is be followers. John 16, 13. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will into all the truth. That means the stuff that we like to hear and the stuff that makes us say, well, I need to repent. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. How many times in that one verse does it say the Holy Spirit speaks? There's a crazy teaching out there today that says, Oh, God don't talk anymore outside of his Bible. That's just totally erroneous. The Holy Spirit does speak. He speaks through his word but in other ways as well. Someone say amen. Colossians 3.15 Let the peace of Christ rule. Be the umpire in your hearts. Since as members of the body you were called to what? You were called to... Peace and be thankful. The Holy Spirit lives within your heart. Someone say amen. So watch this. When your heart is not at peace, it is a signal 100% of the time that something is out of order. If you don't feel peace about that purchase, don't buy it. You don't feel peace about that move, don't do it. You don't feel peace about that person, don't unite with them. Somebody say amen. Look, I know this is good old practical stuff, but you need to listen for the inner peace of the Holy Spirit. I got a phone call one day about my brother-in-law, and it was bad. The report of the doctor, it was a phone call to him. I said, hey, get to the hospital now. Stop everything you're doing. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go straight to the hospital. You know, that's a little nerve-wracking. That's not like, hey, when you get time, show up. That's like, stop what you're doing and get there now. My sister's all upset. She, I hang the phone up, and when I hang the phone up, I am so dismissive of it in my spirit. I can't even think about it. I can't even hardly say a prayer about it. It was just like, oh, whatever. It was like, you know, it's a common cold. It'll be all right. And I thought, what in the world is it? And, and the Holy Spirit said, it's because he's okay. And I've given you peace. 
Do you know how many times in my life that I've had bad phone calls about family, friends, you? And I, and I, I can't even worry about it. I can't even really think about it. I say a quick prayer and I move on. It's not that I could have a care, careless attitude. It's the peace of the Holy Spirit immediately registering in my spirit to say, Hey, it's all, it's, God's got it. It's okay. When I get phone calls from someone in the church or whatever, the home or whatever, and, it's, and, it's, and my mind tells me I should worry, I search my spirit immediately. Do I have peace? If I have peace, I know God's got it. I don't waste time. I said, thank you, Lord, for handling it. I pray you solve this problem, and I pray you bring everyone else peace. Do you know it's okay to live like that? You don't have to live on Xanax and lay awake all night. God can give you peace in the worst of circumstances. Someone say amen. Amen, amen. And then finally, and and this is a point I'm going to really drive home, and I I don't know who this is for, but somebody really needs to hear this. Follow His forgiveness. I need you to listen very closely for the next few moments. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15 says, For if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Listen, complete inner healing begins with forgiveness. If you're under the sound of my voice today and you have some kind of bondage or bitterness or unfor- and you can't get free from it, it could very well be traced back to unforgiveness. What Jesus is saying and what He knows is we need to hear the inner voice of the Holy Spirit prior to our outward healing. That's more important, getting it inside to let it go outside. And listen, when God forgives, He forgives. Somebody say amen. He doesn't say, well, I forgive you, but you hurt me when dot, dot, dot. And when you get to heaven, you stay on the far side of heaven. Don't come near my throne for the next hundred years till I'm over you. That's not the way God works. Someone once said, God cast our sea into the sea of forgetfulness. And He puts a sign out that says, no fishing allowed. As a matter of fact, it was Corey Ten Boom. Listen, the Holy Spirit helps us forgive. Can I shock you for just a second? There are some outrages that are humanly unforgivable. Well, pastor, if that's the case, what do I do? You turn to the Holy Spirit because He can help you forgive where you can't on your own. After World War II, Corey Ten Boom, a prisoner in a concentration camp during the Holocaust, returned to Germany to declare the grace of Christ. I don't want to mess up her words, so I want you just to listen very closely for the next couple of minutes. This story blows me away. It was 1947. The war ended in 45. She hadn't long been out of a concentration camp, yet God moved her back to Germany. Why? She said, it was 1947. I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. I'm just blown away by that alone. It was the truth that they needed to hear more than in that, needed to hear most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture of casting the sea, sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, which is where she was from, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. The solemn faces stared back at me and not quite daring to believe. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform with a cap and skull and crossbones. It came back to me with a rush. 
The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy, how thin you were. That place was Ravensbrook, and the man who was making his way forward had been a guard and one of the most cruel guards we'd ever seen. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Frolin. How good it is to, you, to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Corey Ten Boom said, and I, I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. He said, but since that time and went on, he said, I have become a Christian. I know God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. And I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Frawlin. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? Woo, the rubber's about to meet the road. It's one thing to preach forgiveness so someone else will do it. It's another when you face to face with the man who killed your sister and countless of your friends and almost killed you. Here he stands with his hand out. I'd like to hear it from you, Frolin. Will you forgive me? She writes in her words, I stood there. I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. She's calling this the most difficult thing she'd ever had to do, not the concentration camp. For I had to do it, she said. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not emotion. I knew that too. Look on the overhead. She said, forgiveness is an act of the will. This is one of the greatest statements on forgiveness I've ever read. And the, the will, listen, can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. You don't have to feel it to forgive. You just have to do it. She cried silently within herself, Jesus, help me. She said, I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling, God. Wow. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I cried, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely. 
as I did then. But even then I realized it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness sets you free, not others. Listen, our bodies and our spirits are not made to keep unforgiveness in them. We need to refuse to hold on to those thoughts. When the thoughts come and the hurts come, we need to, we need to dismiss them. For those of you that have been here, you've heard me share this, but if perhaps if there's one new, if maybe someone watching on Facebook, maybe someone that needs to hear this for the first time, they asked Martin Luther back in the day, how do you forgive? Because I forgive, but I still feel the hurt. And he marched the man up to the top of the bell tower of the church, and he took the rope and that old church bell, and he started swinging it until that bell got to rocking from one side to the other and dinging. And then he let go of the rope, and finally, you know, the momentum of gravity, eventually it stopped. He said, that's how forgiveness works. You refuse to grab the rope. Eventually, the pain will go away. What do you do today when someone has hurt you so bad? You refuse to grab the rope. How do you do that? When those thoughts come, you dismiss them. You refuse to ponder on them. You refuse to suck them up. You refuse to hold on to them. You let them go. Somebody shout amen. You also pray that the Holy Spirit move upon you. You pray for the person or the people. Listen, you bless them. It may be hard at first. You may feel nothing at first. But you'll passionately feel for them eventually. Can I be honest? Someone hurt one of my family members one time, and I'll be honest with you. My first prayer, I said, God, you told me to pray for him, so here's what I'm going to pray. I hope you kill him, but save him first. I did. Can I just be honest? I said, God, I hope you kill him. I hope they have a one-car accident where they don't hurt anybody else, and they die. Not instantly. I want them to have time to cry out to you, so maybe one day I'll be right with him in heaven, but I want you to kill him. Because I'm ready to kill him. And I started praying a little bit more. And finally I said, God, maybe I really don't want you to kill him. But make him suffer. I want them to hurt. Can, am I, I'm human, folks. I, you're not looking at Jesus here. You're looking at Dallas Howard's human being. But the more I began to pray for him, the more I felt, I, then I began to felt sorry for him. Well, God... They, they don't even realize what they've done. They're, they're so lost from you. They don't even realize what they've done. They need you, Jesus. To, to eventually, I can actually pray for them. I don't feel those feelings. I don't want them to die. I don't really want them to suffer. I want them to get right with Jesus. You know, it starts off hard. But you'll get there. Someone say amen. Is it okay to be honest? Some of you are like, man, I don't know about this church. Pastor, I want to kill people and make them suffer. <laughs> Dear God, don't get on his bad side. <laughs> I'm just being honest. How many of you have ever been where I've been? Can we be honest? I mean, all right. Evangelist was preaching. I'm done with this story. Evangelist was preaching. And here come this great big guy down to an altar. And he said, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, but I can't, and I know what's stopping me. He said, I'm the deputy sheriff in this county. Don't you listen to the story. He said, I got a call about a bar shooting. He said, I went there, and he said, some man took a sawed-off shotgun and shot this girl at point-blank range and nearly sawed her in half. 
He said, I disarmed the guy. I got him in cuffs and got him all situated. He said, we went over and turned the girl over. And he said, it was my daughter. He said, the other policemen had to restrain me. He said, they disarmed me. They put me out of the building because he said he was a dead man. I was going to kill him. He said, but never fear. He said, I knew where the jail was. He said, I knew there were some railroad trestles behind the jail. So he said, I I perched up there in my off hours with a high-powered rifle and a scope. And he said, I was waiting for him to step across the window. He said, I'd put that scope on the back of his head. And he said, preacher, I couldn't quite kill him, but he said, I can't forgive him either. He said, what am I supposed to do? He said, I hate the man, but not enough to kill him. He said, but in the process, he said, my life is miserable. I'm choking. I'm dying in life. I don't know what to do. I mean, he was honest. The preacher said, if Jesus came to you right now and said, okay, I'm the righteous judge of the earth, but for this man, I'm going to turn over his eternal destiny to you. Now, you tell me right now, where do you want him to go, heaven or hell? The choice is yours. That preacher said his body began to shake. His massive hands began to shake. He began to quiver all over. Sweats, beads of sweat came up on his forehead. For several minutes, he shook uncontrollably. His hands turned white. He said, finally, he looked up toward heaven and raised his hands. And he said, fine, Jesus. He can go to heaven, whatever. The preacher laid his hands on him. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and a snap of a finger. His wife came down. She had a major breakthrough. Everything changed that night. The next night, the evangelist looked out and didn't see the sheriff there. And he got disgusted within himself, as many preachers do. And he looked over at the pastor of the church. He said, isn't this amazing? He said, every time I see God do something special in their life, then you don't find them anymore. God saves them. They don't come back to church. God does great things for them. And then they got to go out and get to another problem before they come back. He said, I'm just tired of this rat race. pastor said, you just need to calm down. He said, because the sheriff and his wife got in the car and drove to the state penitentiary. To look that man in his face, hold him in his arms, and tell him they love him and they forgive him. I want to tell you something. That is humanly impossible. That's the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. I have a question. Will you follow the Holy Spirit today? Do you want to make correct choices in your life? Follow His voice. Do you want to live without Xanax and anxiety and worry? Follow His peace. Do you want to have total inner healing today? Follow His his forgiveness. 